All right, we're ready for Mark chapter 2 today. We're going to begin in verse 18. Before we get there, I just, God's been kind of putting a, a scripture on my heart this last week that I've been praying about, and I, I just want to share with you guys briefly. It's kind of along those lines of, um, of, of where, where uh, Clayton just shared, and you know that the, in, in Joel, it's a short book. You guys read it this week if you get a chance. It'll just take you 15 minutes to read through the book of Joel. But in Joel chapter 1, there's a national calamity. There's a natural destruction that this locust plague comes through and just in a moment wipes out the entire nation. The, the, the result of, of this plague was actually God's judgment. God had um, disciplined his people and he called them. And, he, and there comes a time as, as a father would that we spank our children, that we deal with them in discipline. The Bible says if you know, he who loves his son disciplines him, it says spare, spare the rod and spoil the child. Or in other words, if you spare the rod, you will spoil the child, which is bad, so don't spare the rod. And, and God, as a loving Father, Heavenly Father, does bring that discipline in our lives because He loves us to help us. And He had done that in the nation of Israel. And He brings this rod, which is, in this particular case, this, this plague of locust that blacked out the sun, that made the day look like night as this locust plague comes through and, and destroys in Joel chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, there's this call to repentance. There's this call to come back to God, to get right with God. You know, one of my favorite um, stories in the Old Testament is, is in Genesis 35. And, and, uh, and in Genesis 35, we see the life of, of this guy, Jacob. And Jacob's name means dirty, rotten scoundrel, basically, is the street name. It means heel catcher, surplanter, deceiver. And, and all of his life, he lived that way ex exactly. And you look at Jacob's life, and there's these, these highlights in his life, and you think, oh, Jacob's going to get it now. Like, his life is going to change. And at one point, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, and you think, okay, that's the one. He's going to start really walking with the Lord at this point in his life. But really, the reality of, of the study through Jacob's life is he never really gets it. You know, he, he's, he's basically a, a, a deceiver and a dirty, rotten scoundrel, and really, a, you know, so many lowlights in his life all the way through and yet, when God describes himself to you and I today, what is one of God's main names that we think of in the Bible? He's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Schmuck. That's, that's what he calls himself. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, and, and it blows you away that God has this mercy and this grace all the way through uh, in, in the life of Jacob. And Jacob, who was in the house of God in a city called Bethel, where he was supposed to be. Bethel means house of God. And he leaves, and he's, he ends up down in, in Vegas with his family in a city called Shechem. And, and his daughters are down on the strip in Vegas, and, and they get raped. And, and, and he has no business in Vegas anyways. He should have been back in the house of God, living in the place where God told him to live. And he leaves it, and he's out in the world, and he's in, he's in these fleshly spots where, you know, God's people weren't supposed to be. And in Shechem, where his daughters get raped, his sons get upset about the rape. And so his sons go into Shechem. And, and long story short, they murder all of the men in Shechem, the innocent men and the guilty men of this rape. And, and the other brothers, they weren't involved in the murder, but they, they, didn't, they didn't stay out of the mayhem. When all the men were dead, the rest of the boys came in and stole all their stuff. And, and, and this is Jacob's life. And you're like, like, God, if there's one time where you're going to do the, like, God pound this guy in the sand thing from the heavens, you know, and just pound this dude into the sand, this would be the time, God. Like, it, it's, it, you know, get him. 
And rightfully so. And we would all, if we read through the chapter 35 and God just pounded this dude in the sand, it would, be, it would be for good reason and righteous. And yet you get to 35, that all happens in 34, and you get to chapter 35 of Genesis, and this is what God says to Jacob. Jacob, come home. Jacob, what are you doing out there? I love you. Come home, man. And it just blows you away, God's grace, God's goodness, because you're like, what? how in the world can God tell this guy to come home? Like God really should pound this dude into the sand. And that same theme, that same theme, that same idea that, that, that Clayton shares, it's shared in Genesis 35 all the way through the Bible. Again in Joel chapter 2, this calamity. God's people, are they're being judged for their sins. And there is a consequence for your sin and my sin. God loves you 100%. God will forgive you when you sin. There is a consequence for sin. There is a price to pay for sin that's a natural law that God has laid out. And, and, in, Joel, and, and in Joel chapter 2, when God shows up after the plague, he says, Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. For the Lord your God, he is a gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. He, he who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. And so this call of God to come and come as you are. You know what the reality is? That, that, that God is very inclusive on this side of eternity. The Bible says that for whosoever, God, God so loved the world that whosoever will come to him, that, that they, they could receive salvation. That means the leader of ISIS today, if he repented and came to Jesus, he's welcome. He's included in, the, in, in God's kingdom and will be welcome at the pearly gates one day into rest. It doesn't matter who, who they are or who, who we are, on this side of eternity, it's very inclusive, and everybody is included in the invitation. The difference is, on the other side of eternity, it's a members-only club, and very exclusive. And when you breathe your last, that's it. When you breathe your last and you stand before God, again, like he shared in the video, like the Bible teaches, there will be those where God, Jesus, will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. And you will, you will live all of eternity in, in hell, which the, the description of hell is, is eternal separation from God. And again, not because you're a bad person, but, but because you didn't have forgiveness of your sins and you didn't receive Jesus in your life. Because I'll tell you what, heaven's going to be full of bad people and a lot of good people are going to be in hell. And, and, and because the, 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 the deciding factor of heaven and hell has nothing to do with good and bad. It has to do with forgiveness. Jesus said that if, you, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. And it's easy to close the door on the Lord on this side of eternity, but, um, you know, the, the tables are going to turn one day, and we definitely don't want that door closed when we get there. And, and, and just this call, just this God that we see in the Bible that, that, that is just says, come home. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happening in your life, you know, Clayton mentioned in that video, as I watched that video, I listened to those things that he mentions that we often mention as pastors. If you're addicted, if you're, if you're struggling, if you're, if you're sick, if you have financial troubles, if, if you've been in sin and bondage, come. But you know what, as I, as I think about even our own church, and I think about, you know, even my own life, the, the one we leave out all the time is maybe you're successful. And maybe that's what's keeping you from coming to God, because you don't need God. Your life's good. Your family's pretty good. 
life is life is the way you like it, and you think, well, no, nah, I'm not a drug addict. I don't need recovery. I don't need heal. I don't. No, yeah, Jesus is cool, but he can stay in the manger. I'm gonna stay in the inn. Oh uh, yeah, you know, Jesus said, I'll knock at the door, and if you open the door, I will come in and dine with you. And we say, well, we don't want you to dine with us. We just why don't I just meet you at Starbucks for some coffee? And, and that's how we want to live our lives with Jesus. We just want to keep him at that distance where, you know, it's it's just that far away. And so he, the invitation is, is to come. And you know what? When Jesus does come, when he does come into your life, he does come into your family, he comes into your heart, it's not a bad thing. He doesn't wreck things. He doesn't make things miserable for you like we think we get this idea. He says, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. Amen? Okay, that was the second sermon. Let's get to the third one. Clayton preached the first one. That was the second one. The real, what we're going to do today, I'm going to try to get you guys out of here. It was like a Christmas gift. I want to get you guys out of here a little early today to the restaurant on time. And, and so we're in Mark. We finished half of Mark chapter 2 last week. So we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 18 of Mark chapter 2. I'd like to get through chapter 3, verse 6, and, and see the healing on the Sabbath. There's just a couple nails I want to hammer today. A um, couple different areas that, that I want to uh, cover as a church family. And so let's go through and hammer those nails back to chapter 2. We studied chapter 2 two weeks ago now. But we saw where people are, are bringing people to Jesus in the beginning part of verses 1 through 5, where we're to bring people to Jesus. And then um, from 7 to 12, we saw where Jesus is healing. And we're going to see all the way through the Gospel of Mark recorded for us times where Jesus is healing. And Jesus still heals today. Jesus wants to heal you where you are, whether it's a physical infirmity, an emotional infirmity, whether it's success in your life that keeps you. Jesus wants to heal you. And then in verse 13, we see where Jesus loves and calls everyone. That's very inclusive. We get this title of Jesus in, in the first half of Mark chapter 2. One of my favorite, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that brings us to verse number 18. And it says, the, the disciples of John and of the Pharisees were fasting. And then they came and said to him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. I want you to underline in verse 20, will fast. First, I want to say, you know, I love Jesus. Jesus is basically telling the Pharisees that, hey, it's, it's, it's not the season for fasting. And Jesus lived life. He lived, he lived life while he was here. You know, we get this example, this idea that if you have to be holy and that to be pious and holy and to be Christian, that you have to look like you're angry all the time. And that makes you a good Christian. I don't know where that idea came from, that you have to look like you're sucking on lemons in order to be a, a, a Christian. But, you know, that, that mentality, that idea, that doesn't come from Jesus. Jesus laughed. He loved. You know, one of the things about Jesus is every time you see Jesus, you know what he's doing? He's eating. I love Jesus. He liked to eat. He liked to hang out. He had two, two of his disciples that were kind of high strung, and he nicknamed them Sons of Thunder in jest, I'm sure, as, as he was teasing with his, with, with his disciples and trying to lighten them up a little bit. I'm sure when they gathered together, in the last part of this verse, we, chapter, we saw Jesus gathered together at a house where there were sinners and, and people there that Jesus came and hung out with. What, what's the first thing on the agenda when we get to heaven? The marriage supper of the Lamb, a big feast, you know, just a time to eat and celebrate. And Jesus liked to eat, and he liked to live, and, 
And, and so when the Pharisees came to him with this, again, religious piety and these traps and this, again, this very thing that turns people away from Jesus, and the result, you guys, of this, you know, bitter beer face with the, um, you know, sucking on lemon Christians is, is it turns people away from God. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be a part of that. And, and yet, again, Jesus wasn't that way. And so he tells the Pharisees that, hey, th there's this is a wedding, and I'm the bridegroom, and these are the bridesmen, or <laughs> the grooms, groomsmen, and that, um, that, they, they, that they're not going to fast during this time. It's a time to celebrate. And you go to a wedding, and there's a season in your life, right? If it's a wedding, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to have food, you show up, you celebrate, you live. And then there does come a season. There comes a time. And Jesus is saying, this is not the season for them to fast. But in verse 20, I ask you to underline it. But there will come a day when they will fast. And so I, I want you to, I, I want to talk about, let's unpack fasting just for a little bit. Maybe the concept is new to you. Maybe it's something that's not new. But I, first of all, let me just start with this. Fasting will, will enhance, will grow your, your spiritual life with Jesus. You'll draw closer to Jesus. Jesus will bring revelation into your life. He'll teach you things. You'll have victory, spiritual victories that you didn't have before if you fast. The, the idea of fasting is biblical. It's for us. It's for Christians today in 2015 that God calls us and God encourages us to participate in your life in a daily fast. Maybe that's a part of your life as a Christian right now. You know, the things you think of as, if I, as I ask you, what do you do as a Christian or what makes you a Christian? You might think, well, I, I pray and I read the Bible and I go to church. But I think fasting is something that we, we, we don't consider along those same lines of praying and reading the Bible and, and fellowshipping. But yet, it, it should be. And so I want to encourage us as a church family this week. I, I want you to consider, I want you to pray about, I want you to seek the Lord about putting a, a part of your life in for fasting. You know, in my life, in every major decision I've ever made, it was always preceded with a time of fasting and praying. I don't make any major decisions before I first seek the Lord. If you come for counsel and, you know, you have a major decision that you want help with, we're going to pray together. I'm going to encourage you to spend a day of fasting and praying. So how, how, do you, how does it work? What does it do? Number one, it, it is biblical. And we can go through, and I'm going to try to speed up, so I'm just not going to go back and read them all for you. But in Joel, where we just read, God says, come back to me. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Consecrate unto me an assembly, a gathering of the people, and fast and pray. And so, and, and Daniel, Daniel, who, who, who was facing this um, Babylonian captivity of all the people, he came in this great dilemma. And what did Daniel do? He consecrated a fast, and he called a fast in his life. And for 21 days, he fasted, and the Lord showed up and brought revelation and changed his life. Jesus says here that, that my disciples will fast. As we go through the rest of the New Testament, there's, there's teachings and callings for us to fast. And so the first thing it does practically is that you deny your flesh. You're, you fight a fight every day, right, between the flesh and the spirit. So when you, feed the, when you feed the spirit, the spirit grows. When you feed the flesh, the flesh grows. So the first thing a fast does, the practical thing it does, is it, it helps you to deny the flesh. And when we're denying the flesh, we're growing in the spirit. So the time that you would spend eating, preparing meals, thinking about meals, um, you, you spend that time reading the, reading the Bible, seeking the Lord, and praying. And so you take the food time out, and you replace it with prayer and meditation and seeking God through, through prayer and the Word. 
And then, you know, you get hunger pains throughout the day. And every time you feel a hunger pain, it's a reminder that you haven't eaten. And that, that is a constant reminder that will remind you all day to remain in that zone, remain in the spirit. And when you feel that, it, it's a reminder. It means pray, 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 pray. And you spend time in prayer. A um, cu- couple of, uh, the, the next thing that it, it does, it promotes in your life spiritual growth. You know, for me, I, um, you know, I, I, I get time away. And I need to as a pastor, you know, and I think you hear that from the pastoral staff and from things, you know, where we need to get away and, and spend a, a, a day a month, a, a time every, you know, every so often to get out, get away and fast and pray. But I think that that's the same in your life. And, and maybe there's a hump you can't get over. Maybe there's a struggle. And maybe what, what it would call or what it would require for you is a, is a time to fast and pray. So how do we fast? I want Because if, if the idea of fasting, if the concept of fasting is new to you, let me give you some practical kind of ideas. There's, there's a book called The Awakening. You can get it. Um, Stovall, I think, is the, is the author. And it, it, it lays out all the medical implications of fasting. But basically, you know, you can choose how to fast, what to fast. But basically, we'll look at three different types of fast. A water-only fast, uh, uh, a fruits and vegetables fast, and a juice-only fast. Daniel, when Daniel fasted a 21-day fast, we call it to this day a Daniel fast. And a Daniel fast is fruits and vegetables. And so Daniel, for 21 days, ate only fruits and vegetables. When the Jews fast to this day, and even when, you know, you hear about this 40-day fast or this fast of Ramadan that, that, that Muslims do, it's, it's a um, sun-up fast. So from sun-up to sundown, as long as the sun is up and it's light outside, you don't eat. And then as soon as the sun goes down, you eat like a fat kid. You tear it up. So, you know, you don't, you know, you don't, it's, it's not a bad way to fast. I've, I've done what I call, which I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but what I call a Jewish fast, because that's the way they'll fast on, on, uh, on, on Sabbath is, is sun up to sundown. And so we did our men's group here. We did at the end of our discipleship class, we did a 21 day fast where all the men spent 21 days fasting and praying. And so we did it. We did a combination of the three water only. So I'd have a day, and then the way mine went is I'd, I'd usually have, like, Wednesdays water only, and then I'd sandwich Wednesday with fruits and vegetables, and then I'd sandwich those with, with uh, juice-only days, and then try to throw in another water-only day in, in, in throughout the week. And we did it for 21 days, and we grew so much, so much as a group, spiritually in our lives. And, um, you know, but here's the other thing, too. If, you, if you're fasting or if you want to say, maybe fasting is a new concept, and you want to try it. You want to say, I want to seek the Lord. I want to deepen in my relationship. I want to hear from God. I don't feel like I'm hearing from God. And, and I want to spend some time to fast and seek the Lord. And so you say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a 48-hour water-only fast. And then you get into, like, you know, hour six, and you're at McDonald's because you just can't handle it, ordering a couple Big Macs, you know. like So so rather than, than just completely throw it away or blow it, practical, it's okay. You know, God's, God's not upset if you if you set out to do a water-only fast and you just got overwhelmed, you just got hungry, you needed energy, you're working, so a lot of you guys are going to be working during this stuff, um, you know, so you get some crackers, you get some Ritz crackers or some saltine crackers, or you eat an apple, or you do something that's practical, that keeps the fast, that doesn't, doesn't completely fill you up, but it, it does keep the fast going long enough so that you can continue to seek the, God, seek the Lord. And the whole point, you know what, the 21-day fast, if I just spent 21 days of, of fasting and I didn't spend extra time in the Word and praying, you know what I would have got at the end of 21 days? Or what I would be at the end of 21 days? Hungry. Nothing else. 
because it's not about just the, the physical. It's about the time that you spend, enhanced time that you spent seeking the Lord. Your spiritual senses are increased. And so anyways, I want to encourage you guys in, in, in adding a fast to your Christian diet, adding a fast to your life. You know, I read this thing. It was kind of interesting. And I thought, you know what? That's cool because God said that like a long time ago. And that's usually the case. But a medical journal came out and said the healthiest thing that you can do for your, your life is, is I think it's every six months or a year, a three-day water-only fast every six months will promote more health in your life than anything else. So forget all the tofu and the rice cakes that you guys eat to uh, stay thin and live an extra five years in diapers. Just, just fast, just fast three days every six months and, and a natural body cleanse that God's created. And, and God, God said in the Word, you know, that it's, and, and come to find out that scientifically it's healthy for you as well. So verse 21 says, No one sews a, a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and tears made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts and the wineskins is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But the new wine must be put into new wineskins. So, so Jesus is teaching a concept here, to, again, to the Pharisees, and it's a heart condition that the Pharisees have. And he uses two examples. You know, the, the old, when I was a kid, we, which is not that way today, I guess, for whatever reason, but all the jeans that I bought when I was a kid, you know, you buy them like two, three sizes too big, and then you shrink them, they're shrink to fit. So all my Levi's, you know, and then so if you, if you buy your Levi's, your clothes, and you shrink to fit, and I rip them, and then I get a brand new patch, and I, and I sew it on there, and then the next time I watch them, wash them, the patch shrinks, and it tears the garment, and so... Jesus uses an example that you don't take a, a, a new patch and put it on an old garment because it's, it's going to tear. And then likewise, you don't take new wine and, and put it into old wineskins because the new wine goes through a fermenting process in the wineskin. It, it releases gases and the new wineskin will burst. And so the, the, the principle here is um, for us to, to be flexible, to grow, to, to change in Jesus. Jesus said, behold, I do a new thing. And, and within the church, you know, the church has gotten into um, some ruts over the years. And we have taken the traditions of men and we've placed them on the shoulders and the backs of the church to carry when God has never put them on our shoulders. Let's, let's start with just a today example. So kids today, I don't know if you know this, but kids today don't know how to read if it's on paper. <laughs> if it's on a screen, they can read just fine. If it's on Twitter or Facebook or twist a pate or inner pate or whatever else they're using and um it the kids are fine they can communicate that way so we we make all our church announcements we put them on paper in the bulletin and the kids don't read them they don't show up to any of the events so so you know somebody in the church says well damn kids if they won't read the bulletin then they just can't come no put it on facebook text it to them it's okay it's okay to change. It's okay to take new wine and put it in new wineskins. It's okay for us to be flexible with the heart of reaching people. You know, the idea that we've never done it that way before, and we're not going to start now, or that, that somehow that, that it's, it's ungodly or unbiblical to, to, to meet people where they are with new technology, with new ways of doing things. I'm not talking about changing the main thing. I'm not talking about changing, but I am talking about being flexible and fishing. We're, we're fishers of men, and we got to reach out and fish and meet people right where they are. You know, that for so many, so long in church, the organ was the only anointed, uh, approved, holy instrument that you could have in the house of God. 
And this came in somewhere like in the 1400s and 1500s. You know where this happened, how this happened in church? Some like radical pastor wearing skinny jeans and like had his hair spiked up and he, he brought an organ into, into a church. And everybody left because how dare you bring that organ into this church. And then over the years, it grew into like the only holy anointed instrument in the church. And, and then if you, you know, the first time you, you, you wanted to bring a, a drums or an electric guitar or, you know, these things in the church over the last hundreds of years that it was, you know, church split. True stories, literal true stories of churches split and youth groups being disbanded because a youth pastor brought an electric car, guitar into the church. And, and not being willing to, to, to be flexible and to change in order to reach people and meet people. You know, I, I always share this with you guys, but, you know, on, on that line, I, I, it bugs me because these people never read Psalm 150. What does Psalm 150 say? Psalms 150 says, praise the Lord with stringed instruments, with harp, with lyre, with flute, with cymbals. And then I love this because it says in there, with loud cymbals, with dance. But maybe we're missing on that one. Lydia and I are not. You guys see us up here. We're rocking. We're dancing. You know, in Israel, you go to Israel today, the, the, the Jews, when they, when they pray at the Western Wall, they shake, they go like this, and you're like, what is that dude doing? And he's got his garb on, and his things are coming down, but he's got his phylactery on his head, and he's wiggling his toes in his shoes, and he's, and he's going like this on the Western Wall. You can look it up. You see these guys. Because in the Psalms, it says to worship God with every bone of your body. So what they're trying to do is move every bone of their body as they pray so that they're worshiping God with everything they have. And that's what God is interested in. And, and, and the Bible says that, that, that we, can worship, we can worship the Lord with, with stringed instruments, with harps, with lyres, with flute, with cymbals, with loud cymbals. And so it really doesn't make a difference if we, you know, because there's that, that idea. And there was that idea forever. You can only sing hymns in church. And these churches are of the devil that are using contemporary Christian music. And that are changing. And, and so without a doubt. But, and same thing with dress. Right? You go to some traditional churches and it starts with the clergy. Right? It starts with the, the leadership in the, in the Protestant church, in the Catholic church. And, and then anything that would be outside of that spectrum included where, you know, the pastors, the leaders, the, the priests are wearing these high fluting robes. And the Pope's got a big funky hat on. And, you know, there's this idea that that creates a, a holiness. Piety. But if your heart is stinking, I can get it up in a suit, nice shoes, and I can beat my wife on the way to church and cuss out my kids. And then I can come in and shine and smile, and then my white teeth can go ting. But God's looking at my heart. I'm a creep. I've got a bad heart. Who cares if I'm in a suit? And a guy comes up and he's got his board shorts on, and his surfer t shirt, and his flip flops, and his heart is broken. And he came to seek Jesus, and he wants change, and he's really broken, and he needs Jesus, and he needs to be, he needs a touch from God, and he came to church today to find God and get a touch from God. And you look at him, and you're like, well, he's not holy. Look at the guy that's dressed real nice. Where, where is that in the Bible? You know what? I don't have any problem, you guys. We, we can sing only hymns. We can use only flutes. I'll wear a suit every Sunday. Um, I, I don't have any problem with any of that stuff. If you can show me in the Bible that that pleases God and that makes me more holy and more righteous, then I'll do it. I honestly don't care. I, I don't need to prove a point either way. I want to do what God wants me to do. And if those things are biblical, then I'll do them. But don't take the traditions of men. The, the, the organ in church is a tradition of man. It's not in the Bible anywhere. 
and I don't see the children of Israel, and I don't see any place in the Bible where God calls his people to worship through the book of Revelation where it's, it's, it's that instrument. A suit and tie in church that's the right thing to wear to church, that doesn't say that in the Bible. God says, man, look on the outside, but God, men look on the outside appearance, but God looks on the heart. So, so what's the danger in all this? There is a danger. And, and you know, like, we, we can take it too far, right? Like, oh, we can wear what we want. We can play any instruments we want. We can sing any kind of songs we want, as long as it's a matter of the heart. And, 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 and through that, we, we can become irreverent. So, so there, is, there is a legitimate issue where, you know, there's, there's irreverence that, that can go along with some of the changes that we've made in church and some of the things that we do. You know, you got the pastor who shows up to church and he's got it on his T-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. No, Jesus ain't your homeboy. Jesus is your creator. He's your God. He's your king. He's your Lord. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords and the creator of the universe and all that's in him. He's not your homeboy. And yeah, he's, he's called you friend, but, but it, it's, it's with reverence and respect that you come to the house of God. But you can come with that same reverence. You can come with that same heart, that same respect that cries out to God and that, that bows down in your heart to him, whether you're singing hymns or, or contemporary worship songs, whether you're wearing a suit or board shorts, because God is concerned in the heart. And we can be reverent. You know, it's our heart in here, you guys. And, and, and in the community that we live in, some of the co comments I get with people that come in that have grown up in, in, in another church, you know, the, the initial reaction is shock. You know, the, the initial reaction is irreverence. And, and once they hang out and they see that we're not irreverent people, we love Jesus. We love Jesus, but we're, we're trying to do it like the way the Bible said. And, and the heart is, 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 to, is to reach people. And so, again, you know, with the, with the next generation, with the young people, and if you're in here today and you're one of those guys, calling you out, telling you to repent, telling you to have a heart that just wants to reach people and, and whatever it takes, and we don't want to compromise. At the pastor's conference last year, she had, she's, uh, one of the pastors said that if Spurgeon was here today and he found out some of you guys had the Internet and you weren't using it to share the gospel, he'd punch you in the face. And Spurgeon is one of the greatest of all time, you know, one of the great heroes of faith. And Spurgeon lived his life, and he made a promise to God when he was young that every day of his life he'd tell somebody about Jesus. And he, and he tells a story. He's, he's from Chicago, and 2 o'clock in the morning, and he's in bed, long, hard day, crawls in bed, 2 in the morning, it's freezing outside the middle of the winter in Chicago. And he realizes that he didn't tell anybody about Jesus that day. Already in bed in his pajamas, the dude gets out of bed, gets his clothes on, walks down his stairs onto the streets of Chicago so that he can go find and tell somebody about Jesus so he can go to bed. And you have the internet, and you have options, and you can reach young people, and you can reach people with, with Jesus, and you won't do it because it's, it's not the way we've done it before. They'll punch you in your eye. You know what the thing about, about, about us being fishermen is that, how many of you guys fish? How many of you have ever caught a fish? Raise your hand if you've ever caught a fish. Okay, raise your hand if you if you cleaned that fish before you caught it. Nobody? Only one miracle worker in the back over there. There's always one in the crowd. You can't clean a fish before you catch it. You got to catch it first. You got to get it on the boat first. And so the idea of the church is that, yeah, we're going to have fish that come in that are not cleaned. And, and, and God's, God's heart is for us to love them and to, you know, stretch a little bit to, to share the gospel and that you... You know, t you can't take old wine and put it in, or can't take new wine and put it into old wineskins. And God does do new things. 
And, and, and like I've, I've taught before, you know, when the, if we make it an ice cream example, you know, one of the honest questions that I get all the time as a pastor is, and Pastor Gerald, last time he was here, we did a Q&A. That was one of the big questions that came up. You know, why is, why is there a difference in the, in the styles of ministry in churches? And, you know, down the street, they, they literally run up and down the aisles when they worship. And, you know, preachers speaking in tongues in the pulpit. And, you know, you go to another place and everybody's in a suit and tie. And it's hymns and it's um, different style. And you go someplace and all the clergy's in robes and very liturgic. And, you know, and, and so if, wh- why is that? Well, the issue is that if, if, if the, the substance or the gospel, which are the basics, there's only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus. Jesus is God. He, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The word of God is infallible, is inerrant. And we, we, we love Jesus. We study, we study the word, and, and we only get to Jesus through heaven. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And so we have, for the most part, we have the main things, the main things. And so if, if the substance is ice cream, you and I can all go into an ice cream shop, and I can order ch- chocolate, and Chris can order strawberry, and Lydia can order vanilla. Which one is the right one? Which one is the one that God approves of? doesn't matter, right? It's ice cream. She, she likes vanilla. I like chocolate. Chris likes strawberry. As long as it's the main thing, as long as the truth is, there are different flavors of worship, of style, and where you fit. And so as you go to a church and you, you, you see the style of worship, if, if they love Jesus, the main thing is the main thing. It's not a cult. I'm not talking about cults or isms or schisms or anything outside of the body of Christ. I'm talking about born-again people within the body of Christ that worship a little different. God allows it. It's okay. God's not in the box you put him in. God loves these people no matter who they are and where they are, and he's proved it over and over again through the gospel that Jesus says, come to me just as you are. He's not going to leave you that way. And so for some people, you know what? They're going to come in here, and, and they're, they're just not going to get it. They're, they're not going to grow. And they, So maybe they need to go down the street, and there's another church that loves Jesus, and, and they just do it. Their, their flavor is a little bit different, but, but that person relates to that style, and they grow there. God allows that. Amen? All right, we, we, I said a couple nails I was going to hammer and get you out early. First one was fasting. So we, we talked about encouraging you guys to fast. The second one is, um, and which we're going to kind of re-hammer here in a minute, but the second one is just you guys having a heart that wants to reach people. Having a heart that, that, that wants to do it the way the Bible lays it out. And again, I will, I will make any changes that you can come and you can show me in the Word that are biblical, that God is in, that, that make a difference. So as we go on, let's look at verse number 23. It says, Now it happened, as he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and they, and they went, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and, and hungry and, he, and those with him? So Jesus and his disciples are on the Sabbath. They're walking through a grain field. So as they walk through the grain field, the disciples are taking the heads of some of the grain and they're rubbing them in their hands and they're eating them because they're hungry. And so there, there's in, the, in this grain field, I guess there were some holes and some Pharisees in ghillie suits jumped out of nowhere and said, Hey, caught you. What are you doing? Why are your disciples doing that on the Sabbath? Now, just so you know, if this happened any other day of the week, it would have been fine. Six days out of seven, the Pharisees could have been in their ghillie suits hiding to trap Jesus again and jumped out, and they wouldn't have had a case because the, their, their issue is that this was unlawful because it was being done on the Sabbath. 
The law said that you could walk through the field and, and because of human need, if you were hungry, you could take a handful of the grain. If you were going through a vineyard, you could take enough grapes to eat. You couldn't take a basket and fill it up to take them home. You couldn't take a sickle through the grain fields and take enough, but you could take enough to meet your need as you went through. But it was the fact that they were doing work on the Sabbath. And so Jesus said to them, he responds to this question in verse number 25, and he says, have you never read? I want to stop there. Look at your neighbor and ask him this question. Have you never read? <laughs> say it like that. I'm, I'm not kidding. Look at your neighbor and say, have you never read? <laughs> have you never read? So Jesus expects you guys, Jesus expects us to have a certain understanding from the word of God. You know, you're not going to be without excuse. I, I, I can be up here messing it up every week. But you're not going to stand before God and say, well, that pastor you put in my city, he didn't know anything. and I, That's why I'm dumb, Lord, because he never taught me. Sorry, I can't be your excuse. You're on your own. And you are required as a believer in Jesus Christ to have a working knowledge of the Word of God, to have a steady diet of the Word of God that, that you can defend for yourself. And you know this stuff because you put it in your own heart. My job is only to supplement your, your daily study, your daily reading. If I, anything I say up here, don't, don't believe it until you go home and you read it and you understand it and you know it and God puts it in your heart as truth because it came from his word. Check everything that's said. Fact check everything. And, and know the word of God for yourself intimately and personally because you are required. And Jesus looked at these Pharisees and there was a, an understanding, a requirement. Have you never read? Don't you know and had they read, and this is kind of an obscure story in the Old Testament of David going into the temple. And David and his men go into the temple, and they're hungry. And they tell the priest, hey, we're hungry. We, you, David at the time, as you guys know, he was running from Saul, and Saul's trying to kill him. And David and his men are fleeing, and they, they go to the temple, and they tell the priest, hey, we're hungry. You got some food? And the priest says, we don't have any food except for the showbread that's getting ready to be consecrated to go on the table for the house of the Lord. David says, well, can we have it? And so they have this little conversation, and the priest is concerned that, that David and his men have obtained, abstained from sexual behavior and sexual activity. And David said, yeah, we've been out in the field, you know, for a couple days, and we're, we're good there. And, and they, they, they talk for a minute, and the, and the priest gives to David and his men the showbread, which was unlawful for them to eat because they weren't of the priestly tribe. They weren't of the house of Levi. But in this case, it was the right thing to do because it was a thing of love, and it was a thing where, where human needs superseded the law. And that God was, was concerned with people. And God is concerned with you and me. And, and he expected them to know this. And he said, have you not read? And then he says, when David, what David did when he was in, in need and hungry and, he, and those who were with him. And he, how he went out of the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest. And he ate the showbread, which was not lawful to eat except for the priest. And also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so then Jesus, basically in this, this whole thing, in, in the Jewish mindset, you guys, even up to that day, there was two things that were so important. Number one was um, circumcision, and number two was, was the Sabbath and the observance of, observance of the Sabbath. And all the rules and regulations that they made regarding the Sabbath had nothing to do with what God's heart was or God's law. And so God is telling the Pharisees, listen, I didn't, I didn't make this day, the Sabbath. And like the first thing I created was, man, I got this day and it's so important to me. And, and people are going to observe it and they're going to follow it. And I'm going to make this man and, and I'm going to make him a slave to this, this Sabbath. I'm going to put him in this Sabbath and that man better walk and toe that line of that, 
that holy thing called the Sabbath that I created. Jesus said, I didn't do that. Exactly the opposite. I made this man, and he was awesome. And I loved him. I made him in my image. I'm even going to send my son to die for him because I want to have fellowship with him. And, and then I'm going to make this day. It's a special day. And I want it to have some rules because I want the man in that day to enjoy himself and enjoy me and spend time with me and fellowship with me and, and set aside one day of his life to, to, to be with me. And it's called the Sabbath. And this man that I love, I give, I'm giving him this gift called the Sabbath. And here it is, man. Enjoy it. It's supposed to be a blessing, a day of rest, a day of, you know, of seeking and spending time with the Lord. It was set into your week. And God said, not only am I going to give him a day, I'm going to every seventh year, I'm going to give him a whole year that he, that he can take off and rest and spend with me. And so, so God's heart was for man, and the Pharisees turned it upside down. And, and they, they didn't care about the people. They cared about this law. And Jesus is going to get upset with them here in a minute. It says in chapter 3, we're almost done, you guys. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. And so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. So here we have the Pharisees again, you guys. It's going to get old. It's going to get redundant. They're, it's a trap. They're setting him up. They, they bring this guy. They know he has a withered hand. They know Jesus is going to have compassion on him and, and want to heal him. I just want to highlight one thing in this story. Jesus is in the synagogue. So synagogue is church, you guys. That was the local churches like we have here, local churches all over the place. That was the local church was called the synagogue. And Jesus would, as was his custom, he'd go in on the Sabbath to different synagogues and he would teach. And he went into the synagogue and, and look who he's drawn to. The guy in the suit with the ting when, his, when he smiles right on his teeth. The really nice guy with the tie and all that. No, that's not who Jesus, the guy who was well, who, who, who was a Christian for a long time and, and got it and, and, and was 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 growing in Jesus. That's not the guy he was attracted to. He comes to the, the church and he sees a guy that's in need. A guy that's broken. He's got a withered hand. And that's the guy that Jesus gravitates to in this story and that sees. And, and in verse 4, or in verse 4 it says, And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill it? But they kept silent. These dummies. They didn't know what to say. Jesus just says, hey, is it e evil's working on the Sabbath? Does evil take a, take a break on, on the Sabbath? Well, no. Well, then should, should good also take a break? Well, I don't know. You know, he told them in another case, if, you know, if, if your ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, you're going to go and save it. And that ox doesn't have an eternal soul. And a man's dying on the Sabbath, and you're going to leave him there. How much more important is that man? And what is Jesus' heart, you guys, all the way through this section as you pick it up in context? It's the heart. 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 It's people. It's people. It's people. It's reaching out. It's loving. It's people. It's people. And, and he gets so upset. Look what it says here in verse 5. I want you guys to follow with me. It's verse 5, and then we're going to wrap up, I promise. And when he had looked around at them with anger. Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. And when he, let me read it again. And when he looked around at them with, it's still there, anger. Okay, that, that's got to be a typo, right? Let's cross that out in your Bible and write love above there because Jesus wouldn't look at him with anger, right? No, that's not a typo. Don't do that. I'm just kidding. Okay? It, it's meant to be there. Jesus was mad. He was angry. Do you know as a Christian, you're, it's not a sin to be angry? As a matter of fact, you're commanded as a Christian to be angry in certain, certain circumstances. Be angry and sin not. It's not the anger that's a sin. Jesus was without sin, and here he's angry. Be angry and sin not. It's, it's some, oftentimes what we do with, with that anger that becomes sin. But Jesus was angry. 
He was upset. You know, several times in the New Testament, we see Jesus angry. It's always for the same reason. When you see Jesus get angry in the New Testament, it's because somebody is preventing somebody else from coming to him. He goes into the temple. They got the money tables out. People are coming. They're, they're honest. They're sincere. They, they don't really understand the whole thing. They're coming to meet this God and worship God, and, and they're being fleeced at the door, and, and they're leaving with a bitter taste in their mouth about church and about the whole experience, and they're upset, and Jesus shows up, and he's angry. And wait till you get the DVD on this one. He's got a whip, and he's whipping people, and he's overthrowing money changers and tables outside the temple. And, he, and he's telling them in no uncertain terms, you, you brood of vipers, you get out of here. And he's angry because they're preventing people from coming to him. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and thrown into the deepest ocean than to cause one of these little ones, my children, to stumble. People preventing the kids. One other time when the, they were preventing the children from coming to Jesus. You know, I think back to my own life, and I think of, of, of growing up the way I did and, and the things that, that the, the older guys in the neighborhood taught me how to do, and, and then I started passing that, that, that stuff on to the younger guys. You know, and Jesus said it would be better for you if a millstone, not, not that, that that's what he's going to do to you. He said it would be, that would be better for you than what I'm going to do to you. He didn't quite get to what he's going to do to you. I don't think you want to know. And if you're guilty, repent so that you don't have to know. But he said, it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the deepest ocean than cause one of my little ones to stumble. And that's the way that sin works when we live our life in sin. Praise God that, that, that God's taken that sin of mine and he's put it as far as the east is from the west. And that I, I don't want to keep people from coming to Jesus because Jesus gets mad about that stuff. He, he doesn't want you preventing anybody from coming to Jesus. So you're, you're, you're sucking lemon juice face and your bitter beer face and your, your rules and regulation, you know, preventing people from coming to Jesus about the laws of the Sabbath and caring more about, you know, the, the, the organ and the soup than you do about people coming to Jesus. Jesus is not, is not happy with those things. And, and then it goes on and it says, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand and was restored as whole of the other. And the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted, her, plotted with the Herodians against him how they might might kill him last point you guys jesus said jesus was grieved by what verse number five jesus being grieved by the hardness of their hearts that, that grieves jesus you guys the hardness of hearts you know here's the second nail i want to hammer did i already nail two who knows i'm not very good at nailing but fasting and a heart and i said the second one was going to go along with it this third one so it, it's a heart you guys Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Let's not have a hard heart. Let, let, let's just have a soft heart with the, with the goal of reaching people for Jesus. That means all people. That, that, means, that means bringing and, and coming as they were. As a body of Christ, we can, we can agree to disagree. We can, but but the, 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 the heart of the matter is love. The heart of the matter is reaching people for Jesus and doing what it takes to do that. If that means we got to meet young people a little differently than we did before in the past, then let's do it. If we got to, you know, if we got to stretch a little bit, if we got to change what's comfortable for us, you know, let's do it. But let's let's not have that that pharisaical heart that made Jesus angry, and, and at the same time it broke his heart. He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. Let's let's have soft hearts that love people and want to see people come to Jesus. Amen.
So spend some time in the next couple of weeks seeking God about a fast in your life. I want to encourage you guys to spend some time in the fast. And let's, let's just have a soft heart that wants to see people come to Jesus. And let's pray for our community. Let's pray for this town. Let's be a light on a hill that shines, that, that, that people can come. Amen? Let's stand. Wait a minute. What time is it? No, it's not. What time is it? All right. Hey, I kept my word. I said I was going to get you guys out of here early, and I showed a nine-minute video. Hey, it is Christmas. All right. Let's pray. Hey, we want to, uh, we gave you one opportunity with Clayton Jennings and his video, and if you prayed that prayer with him and you meant that in your heart, then, then you're saved. You're born again. I want to give you a similar opportunity. You know, I want to encourage you guys in here that, that you, you live your life unashamed. And the Bible says that, that if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. And oftentimes when we give altar calls, we, we make them public. So that, that you know, it's, it's a step of faith to come out and publicly say, I'm, I'm a believer and, and, I, and I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And I'm willing to, you know, in front of my peers, in front of my church family, in front of whoever, that, that, that I'm a believer. It's a public declaration. I want you just to be bold in, in that and in your, your decision for Christ. So if you made a decision for Christ today, I want you just to come forward uh, as we pray and let me know so I can talk to you and pray for you. We want to give you a Bible. If you need a Bible, we got some gift Bibles that we want to give you. And, um, we just want to uh, see you guys grow. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And God, we, we do thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we, we want to... Um, just consecrate a fast unto you this week or this coming weeks. We want to start praying about it, thinking about it, looking into it, Lord. And, Lord, knowing that the Word says that, that, that your disciples will fast and that, God, we are to fast and that you've called us as Christian people to, to have a fast as a part of our lives. And so, God, we, we pray, Lord, also that we'd have a heart, Jesus, that just loves people, that is not, uh, not a, just an old wineskin that's, that's refusing to change or mold or refusing to do things differently than we've done them in the past. Jesus, you do new things. The truth doesn't change, and the gospel doesn't change, and love doesn't change, but methods change, songs change, times change. And so, Lord, help us to change with those times and just reach people where they are. And God, we, we can't do that unless we have a heart, unlike what the Pharisees had, a heart that just loves people and wants to see them come to Jesus. So, God, we thank you, and we pray that you give us that heart in Jesus' name. Amen.